0: Welcome to Overdue, it's still Overdue, a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we are here with a brand new sound, with the Big Lights, Big City, new sound here <laughs> hey, on Overdue.
1: Hey, uh, Chuck, Berry's, Chuck Berry, we got that new sound you've been looking for. Is oh, that yeah. who it was in, in Back to the Future? I think so. Yeah, he was talking to somebody, and he was like, hey, you've got that new sound you're looking for. That's us right now. (laughs)
0: That's definitely it. And uh, we will be talking about Unaccustomed Earth by Jumbo Lahiri, but first, Andrew, we got to talk about our new theme music.
1: So we were talking about how to talk about this, and you said, (laughs) here at the end of May, new year, new you. Yeah. And so unpack that for me and everybody else a little
0: bit. uh, I think... (laughs) like. In December of twenty nineteen we had a hangout slash meeting and this came up as a as a thing we wanted to do. And we
1: were doing a not like and and I know now in pandemic times you think hang out and you think ooh hang out. No, like we hung out in the same place. Yeah, it was really weird. Yeah, and like listen to like I think video game remixes and <laughs> planned the next year <laughs> of the show.
0: Yes. And we said one of our goals was kinda like challenge ourselves a little bit. Uh, you know, refresh some parts of the show where we could. Um,
1: keep Keeping sweet, keeping yes, awesome.
0: Keep talking about books most of the Just time. Balls to the wall.
1: Uh, Super but cool, we, guys.
0: We felt what better to do as we entered the, the 400 section of our catalog than change up the, the tune at the top. Uh huh. Um, so we got our good buddy Nick Larangis to to write us a new tune that we're going to try out here. We're going to use as our theme, and well, I don't remember what like guidance we gave him. Mostly that the
1: email thread up. I um, I definitely
0: yeah. wanted it to be warm and inviting and chill. We did not use one that slapped way too hard. Uh, it was not <laughs> the right vibe. Was one that we told him that it was too good and it rocked too bad in the good way
1: um we were saying we'd be hoping to maintain an overall chill vibe in caps but we, yeah so that that was our guidance to him yeah. was overall chill vibe
0: yeah um so it's something that's ours it's the new theme we dig it we hope you dig it and it'll be very confusing for anyone that you introduce to the show for the next three years mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that was also our goal i guess yeah just to keep people <laughs> on their toes uh, so thanks to Nick for confusing everyone at home. Uh, now
1: we're, our whole show is all Kenyon College all the time. We've got the, pre, the pre-theme introduction by our friend Steve Dowling, who yep. we graduated with. We've got the cool new theme by Nick Laranges, who was a year behind us yes. at Kenyon. Through He'll no fault of his up. own. Just He'll because. never catch up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Kenyon, uh, toe-to-tip on this one. Uh, Shout-out to Kenyon College um, and, and folks who went there, I guess.
1: Um, what do we do here on this show, Andrew? Every week, one of us reads a book and talks about our new theme song, and then we tell the other person about the book that we read.
0: Yes, that's how it works. So this mm-hmm. week, I read uh, Unaccustomed Earth by Jhumpa Lahiri. It was a recommendation from one of our Patreon supporters, uh, patreon.com, uh, Emily, who uh wrote into us twice the second and I've been instructed to read her comments from the second time she wrote to us about the book
1: how many do- months separate these two too many too many okay Um, sure great good
0: uh i'm tossing unaccustomed earth uh onto the pile because my actual book club hasn't read it with me yet but i remember being very taken with lahiri's writing when i first discovered it one thing her stories did for me was make me care about the characters which is unusual i tend to read (laughs) i tend to read books because i enjoy stories as whole entities not necessarily how they make me feel but this was an exception I've also found it to be something immigration related I can give to politically conservative friends and family members that actually leads to constructive conversations instead of uh, knee-jerk reactions against political differences uh, because the stories are generally speaking more about people than politics which is also true of immigration Um, and we'll get into that for sure I it is it is a book about uh, folks who have immigrated but it is not about the like the period of their life in which they do that immigration right
1: yeah. yeah and so to to ground that a little bit so this book came out in 2008 which in terms of like both our political moment and our immigration my god discourse such as it is is just a completely different era um the new york times review talks about it in the context of post 9-11 Okay. Um, and about how America can still be, quote, a place where the rest of the world comes to reinvent itself, accepting with excitement and anxiety the necessity of leaving behind the constrictions and comforts of distant customs. Huh. And I just, I read that line in that review and I was like, boy, I hope, we'd, I hope we haven't messed that one up too bad. Oh, boy. Hmm. hmm. Huh. Hmm. So yeah, that's the, that's the backdrop is, is think about it, not in, not in terms of the 2020 era immigration no. debate, but in terms of one where it looked like maybe something could someday, so could someday get done in some fashion.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I would say, and we'll talk about this. I don't think the book is making explicitly political arguments, It, except the fact that the, the existence of art is generally political in the first place, but um it is. She is not uh, only talking about this in the political context, anyway. Uh, I'm sure
1: writing it, like especially at the time, didn't necessarily feel like a political act. Like there, are, there are the, the list of things that ten years ago would have been anodyne that now seem political is as long as thirty yeah, of my arms. <laughs> so, uh,
0: what do we want to know about uh, Lahiri as we get started, Andrew?
1: Sure. So she was. Born in 1967 as Nilanjana Sudeshi Lahiri in London to parents from uh, the Indian state of West Bengal, who moved with her to the U.S. at the age of three. So she feels, you know, she feels of the of the U.S. She's said in interviews like she feels American because she might as well be. Um, though I mean, we'll talk about identity and yep. how she is stretched among like multiple like languages and cultures and nationalities. Um, so Jumpa is a nickname that, um, it, it was like a, 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 pet name, like a term of endearment. And then one year a teacher just decided to start calling her that because the teacher had trouble like pronouncing or calling her by her full name. Um, it seems like maybe that's not because it was a pet name. That's not totally like without. Yeah. Lahiri's consent and cuz she's still going by it and publishing under it we got to assume that she's fine with it. Yeah, yeah. But reading that what, did make me wonder how exactly that whole conversation went down.
0: Yeah, well and she also she wrote a whole one of her I think her first novel called The Namesake is all about people dealing with their names and and it, it's specifically based on a on a family story but it's about people being named after uh fictional characters and an author and just how a name can shape you. And characters in this book, in Unaccustomed Earth, do... I think there's a character named Rahul whose sister is Sudna, or uh, I think it's Sudna. And she even remarks that there are people who refer to him as Raul because that's a name that they are more familiar with. And mm-hmm. he kind of like... There is not an awkward "how do I pronounce your name" moment when people first meet him that she experiences. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So a, a lot of these stories um, are not not autobiographical fiction one to one, but they are certainly drawing on various aspects of of Lahiri's
1: life. Um, sure. Um. So she's a she's a a writer of short stories and novels and essays in primarily in English but in more recent years in Italian also Um, her first short story collection was published after many rejections in 1999 and um, she currently is as of I think 2019 she is uh, the head of Princeton University's program in creative writing um she's worked at Princeton since 2015 and she's also taught classes um on translation. I'm not I couldn't find what her living situation is because as as far as I know she still lives in Rome primarily with her husband and children. Yeah, so I, don't I know think if it's so. like a commuting sort of thing or or, or what. But I um, saw
0: I saw an event she did with like the Italian Culture Center in New York City as of like two years ago. So she's clearly spending time teaching and and working here in the States. But yeah, I think her primary place of residence is still Italy. Um, That that first collection you mentioned, Interpretive Malady, Maladies, she did win the Pulitzer Prize in 2000 for that, which is like, that doesn't often go to short story collections. I don't know how many have received it, but it is not as common.
1: At Um, the time I have that it was the seventh time a short story collection had won. I don't know what it is now. Who knows? I don't know if it opened the floodgates to a bunch of <laughs> rough and tumble short story collections. <laughs> very possible. just sort of took the Pulitzer Prize Committee over.
0: <laughs> sure. It's way easier to read. So why are we wasting our time on all these long books?
1: <laughs> Give the prizes to the short ones. Um, and then her first novel, The Namesake, was published in 2003.
0: Made into a film with Cal Penn. Yeah. Um.
1: And and yeah so sh- and she's so she's lived in Italy since at least 2013 and she's been writing in Italian since at least uh 2015 I think yeah um and she so there's a um a LitHub interview with uh with her and Francesca Pall- Pellis um that came out in 2017 where she talks about this experience and and she talks about not wanting to be Sort of pigeonholed or, or categorized as one thing. Um and there are a few episodes of our show, I think, where we've talked about uh people of color being expected to write books about like yep. POC experiences rather than just like writing whatever cool book from the dog's perspective or <laughs> something. <laughs> sure. Um so this interview um, in, in Lit Hub starts with a, with a question. There was a woman who wanted to be another person. This is the opening line of The Exchange, a short story you wrote in Italian and then included in your book In Ultra Parole.
0: Yeah, you got it. Good one. <laughs> sure,
1: <laughs> Mamma mia. It's also the beginning of your own metamorphosis into another writer. What pushes someone towards a transfiguration? Uh, and this is Lahiri, a sense of frustration of dissatisfaction. I used to look for an identity that could be sharp, acceptable mine, but now the idea of a precise identity seems a trap, and I prefer an overabundant one. The Italian piece, the Brooklyn one, the Indian one, identity is a completely fluid thing, and metamorphosis has this concept in it. Ovid, too speaks about this fluidity and reading Ovid always helps me. Yeah, and so and and then she goes on to to talk about um, the sense of expectation, like the expectation that she will write a certain kind of book about certain kinds of experiences. Uh, this sense of expectation is a heavy burden and takes away my appetite for writing. I would rather find another job because to me, writing means freedom. And therefore, when I find myself in a cage, in a trap or in front of someone who tells me, no, you have to write like this in this language about these subjects and conditions, I get a very unpleasant feeling. Of course, one always has to expect to be judged, but some judgments can be damaging.
0: Yeah, she also makes some interesting connections in that not only to being expected of what type of story you're going to write or in what language, I suppose, but also I think she likens it to when she has traveled to different parts of the world and what language they expect her to speak where. Yeah, I,
1: I clock that passage too.
0: Like being in Brooklyn and folks being surprised by her English or traveling to Calcutta without her family for the first time and you know speaking Bengali with folks um and she
1: cho- and she also says in italy everybody tries to speak to her in english <laughs> <laughs> yes
0: and and she just kind of uh seems to have chosen italian and she says you know sometimes she uses you know saying that it she chose it or that it chose her or whatever but it's it's like a a chance for her to form an identity that is agnostic to the expectations put on her um by her background her parents background etc Which is really interesting, um, looking at the, connecting it to the stories we'll talk about today and her previous collection. Like, from what I understand, Interpreter of Maladies is about more explicitly about first generation immigrants to the US. Mm -hmm. And this book is about second and third generation uh, Bengali Americans. And so folks closer to our age range, Andrew, in the like there's some that are that are entering into adulthood in the nineties and stuff, but that's kind of where the their lives are hitting in the stories and they're dealing with their parents who have an experience of India as a homeland and it is all about the care the next, you know their kids and what their experience you know once or twice removed is Mm -hmm. um which is very different from the you know first generation folks who come over here and the stories are going to be about the journey and are going to be about um moment to moment learning of customs and things like that um and yeah it's just it's it's interesting to think about her own her wanting to find then maybe another Step that she can take herself into transfiguration, being an interesting word choice in that interview. Yeah. Um. So the story, this book is eight short stories. Um, Yeah. Talk to
1: me about this structure, and and then maybe we can find a way to to weave our way through it. Because some some of them are related, right? And then others aren't, right?
0: Yeah. There are eight stories. I believe four of them had been previously published. Uh, like, individually in The New Yorker. Uh, and the back three are part of what the book refers to as part two, Hema and Kashiel. And those are three stories that tell, like, two characters whose lives interweave over the course of three stories. Mm-hmm. Um, the first five are all completely unrelated Uh, from a plot and character perspective though of course they have a lot of thematic resonance um and they i think the the earliest one kind of takes place in the 80s or a character is like growing up in the 80s but a lot of it seems to be pretty contemporary to the book being you know the publication of the book when when whatever character in a story reaches adulthood, it seems to be in the two thousands. The opening story has a grandpa who map quests a lot, which should tell you <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> like, it's a moment in it's time. It's very
1: specific. After internet maps, but before there was only one option.
0: <laughs> yeah, and people have cell phones, but I don't think anybody has a smartphone that wouldn't that tracks with the with when when it's public, when it was public. Published. Yeah, the iPhone came out yeah. in two
1: thousand seven or eight. Yeah. Seven, yes. Yeah, but it didn't start to get like widespread adoption for a couple of years after that. Sure, 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 sure.
0: Um, and the first story is also entitled "Unaccustomed Earth," uh, and it comes from a Nathaniel Hawthorne quote that I'll just read for you. It's at the beginning of the book. Uh, human nature will not flourish any more than a potato if it be planted and replanted for too long a series of generations in the same worn-out soil. My children have had other birthplaces, and so as, and so far as their fortunes may be within my control, shall strike their roots into unaccustomed earth. Uh, there's an interview with her in 2008 with NPR where she said, I stopped when I got to those words. I just thought about how much they stand for everything that I had been writing about the experience of being transplanted and people being transplanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we've, I think we've talked on previous episodes, like you've done more, way more moving around in your life than I have. I've yes. basically stayed in the general Philadelphia area, except for the four years where I lived in middle of nowhere, Ohio, Mm-hmm um and i've been to europe twice for cool. a week each time that's my <laughs> i am a pretty like globally i'm a homebody as it were
1: i mean globally i guess relatively speaking i am too it's just domestically that i've yes. been sure more all over the place yeah
0: uh, but what i don't have as easy a frame of reference of what it is to like move to a new place and have that shape who you are, you know what I mean, or have like different parts of my life defined by different places that I've lived, except for like the couple of apartments I've lived in as a person, sure, in my adult life.
1: Do you mean like having the new place shape where you are, or do you mean like bringing your old context into the new place? Because I, I, I have more, I have, I feel like I have more examples of the. Of the latter, like when you move to Philadelphia and you don't understand why everybody's so excited to buy these sandwiches from this <laughs> gas station.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They're very good sandwiches.
1: I mean, I don't want to badmouth Wawa too much because I do have to keep living here. But it's true. I don't get it. Okay. You're welcome to it, but I don't get it. Sure, sure.
0: Um, yeah, that's a good example of the, the sandwich <laughs> bias. <laughs> I think there's also what what she is writing about a lot um, is that kind of permanent sense of transience the the fact that you will always be moving to another garden as it were and being planted somewhere else and like by because this book is a lot about intergenerational relationships by giving your children a new start somewhere else it affects how you feel about where you've come from mm-hmm. um so overall as i said the book's the book is about um folks kind of in the 20 to 30 or early 40s of their life um some of them starting as kids and then growing up um and they are second and third generation uh for reference like the there was the 1965 change to U.S. immigration law under Johnson, I think, that like got rid of a bunch of the really prohibitive quotas and certainly did not like fix the immigration system that is ultimately broken in this country. Um, mm-hmm. But it led to a substantial increase in immigration from southern Asia. And so that's where most of the first generation characters that are in this book, uh, probably when they came over, Um, and there's also a lot about most of the characters we meet have important relationships with Americans and some British people. And when I read it in the book, I am, I feel like I am not misunderstanding her when I presume that anytime she refers to just a straight up American person, they're a white person. Um, they're coded as such in the book. Sure. And there's, there's always a lot of tension around those relationships. Um, or frustration, or whatever it might be. Um, is it
1: like, you, yeah? Go ahead. Does that happen because it feels like those are the Americans who are the who are the most likely to challenge her Americanness or like her background? Or why? Why? Why is it coded that way? Like, why? Why do you assume so? Um, like, assuredly, yes, that that's yes, what it is. Yes, because
0: it partially because it is it is uh, a power thing, and it is about uh assimilation into status quo american life which in the backdrop of this book appears to be pretty new englandy white okay um in terms of like the boarding school that one character gets sent to as a kid and the types of people that they meet at prestigious ivy league universities uh who do not seem to be facing remotely any discrimination <laughs> or lack of privilege
1: okay that's fair
0: <laughs> so um And it creates tension between children and their parents over who they should have married or not, um, about whether or not those relationships will last. There's at least one character who expresses some discomfort over the fact that, like, his kids look more like his wife than him. So he, like, people ask whether or not they're his kids and that's just he doesn't really know what to do with that feeling because he loves his kids and yada yada yada, but it's like mm-hmm. a weird feeling that he has. Um, so it's these are all kind of time fluid character—that's the term I came up with—time fluid character <laughs> portraits, <laughs> okay. most of which boil down to like a really powerful image or extreme situation that never lasts too long, but is like the culmination of the emotional growth that's been happening. Um, yeah. Andrew, do you think people are basically good?
1: Woof, that's tough isn't it. Um, I mean, I, th- I think most people think of themselves as basically good. Sure. But there are, there are different interpretations of what constitutes good that vary from, from person to person. Mm hmm. Um, I mean, I mean, I think we, I think we've seen in this, in this pandemic thing, right? The, the, I think both the virtues and the, the, not vices. I don't know. I don't know why I use virtues when I didn't have the, the <laughs> opposing word cued right up, but like the, the good and bad points of like g- group, like collective action. Oh like yeah. I think early on we saw an impressive and frankly unbelievable um agreement that it was it was the good thing to do to stay home and and limit the the spread of things but as as that has gone on i think people have splintered into different factions and the faction you're in determines basically every every way you're responding the responding to this not just like whether you think staying at home is still good but like whether you keep Wearing a mask, or yeah, do you sure. Know what I'm saying? I like, do know
0: what you are saying. I asked you a big question out of well, the and blue, and I am
1: giving you a non-answer. <laughs> I think pe- people would like to think that they are good, like, yeah. But but you are but you are never going to ask somebody if they're the bad guy and get an affirmative answer. That's just not how
0: I mean work. I haven't seen the movie Joker, but I think that's what happens. Joker's trick. Um I asked that question because I think. From Lahiri's perspective, most of the characters in her stories, I think they do think they're good people, even if they recognize their own flaws. I think Lahiri thinks they're mostly good people, but I think she thinks they're all inherently flawed, or that there is a an inherent precarity and possible brokenness to all human <laughs> relationships. Okay. She, which she treats with incredible warmth, but like no one's perfectly happy in any of these stories. And most of them are about uh, the happiness, the type of happiness that leads you to intense moments of unhappiness. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me get into the first. Like
1: when you eat a whole pint of Ben and Jerry's at once. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Or <laughs> or when you lived your life or, or the other thing that happens in these stories are like people realize the kind of low level dissatisfaction they'd had their entire life and they start to rue that they never corrected it. So what uh, if you okay. had just right, been all right, all right. eating store brand ice cream your entire life because you liked saving a dollar or something and you got and then finally you're like 65 years old and someone gives you some dope like Edie's or something or Ben and Jerry's maybe chunky monkey and you're like oh dang what was i doing with my whole life
1: i kind of felt that way the first time i bought my ni- my, my my uh mechanical keyboard yeah you didn't you realize know, my, my you didn't know you missing keyboard yeah no i didn't know
0: don't click it please it's terrible audio
1: <laughs> don't say... wait don't click what craig are you asking me are you asking me not to click my mechanical keyboard I'm unaccustomed
0: to these keys. Oh my God, you're sending me messages with your loud keyboard. (laughs) Perfect audio. Anyway, let me get into this first story because I think it covers a lot of what my setup has been. Is that okay with you? Can you Can you click a yes at me? Great, I recognize those keystrokes. So, Unaccustomed Earth, the opening story of this collection... Uh, is does the interge- intergenerational thing right off the bat. It centers on a woman named Ruma who has a son who's like three or four years old. His name is Akash, and she has her father. I don't remember if we learned the father's name. Um, it is less important to the story. He is Ruma's father. Uh, she has moved to Seattle with her American husband who works in hedge funds. It's very just like... It's very he, American. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like away a lot working on important portfolios, whatever hedge funds do. And uh, she is expecting another kid. They've moved away from the East Coast. Um, and she's kind of on her own. Uh, another recurring theme of these stories is kind of the loneliness of suburban America, especially for the uh, these particular characters who like are used to living in tight knit uh family and you know s- two or three concentric circles out of connections of people. Yeah, I was
1: I was going to tell you like if I if I wanted something about the about suburban America, I would go listen to early 2000s pop punk. Yes. I would is. go bowl for soup or something.
0: <laughs> uh she a lot of the characters walk the lonely road, the only road that they've ever known, okay? <laughs> and they so like she's out in this new city like kind of outside downtown seattle and and things like that just kind of on her own in in her house with her son all the time and she had to leave her legal career um when they moved and she's not looking to start it up anytime soon because they're starting and you know they're having another kid um and adding into that situation is her mother passed away a few years ago. Her dad it has been spending his time and money after his retirement, like traveling around the world. At one point, he says he's also spending his time working with the Pennsylvania Democratic Party, which like good for you, Papa. Sure, but, like, yeah.
1: Text Text Bank. You know, get ready. Right, you know,
0: flip the get ready for some disappointment. It, yeah, you're gonna have trouble in a few years. Um and. So the opening of the story is, like, she is anticipating him spending a week or two with her. He has been traveling a lot. He's really enjoying his newfound independence after his, you know, after his wife passed away. And he doesn't really know where to put that kind of... It's not expressed as joy, but a thing he shouldn't necessarily be happy about. Mm Um you don't just tell your daughter how good it feels to not be married to her mom anymore.
1: You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, No, there, there are people you can tell that yes. but your daughter is probably not the best audience. No.
0: And one person that he may have told that to is a woman he's met on his travels. Um, one of the only other Bengali folks he's met on the, on his trips, uh, Mrs. Bagchi, who he has started a relationship with. I believe she is also, she is also a widow. um, and they have entered into, you know, kind of a later life relationship where there's no expectation of marriage. They may or may not maintain contact when they're not on trips together. But the main thing is that they meet up in these tour groups and have a great time, which okay. does sound kind of dope. But I understand why he would not know how to tell his daughter this. Yeah. yeah which yeah, is yeah, like yeah. his secret. Mm-hmm. Um And the other big question of this story is she is not sure whether to invite her father to live with her. Like culturally, there's an expectation that like after, you know, he's living on his own in a small apartment somewhere in Pennsylvania and she can't convince herself that he would be OK with that. And so there's like cultural pressure to tell him to move in with her, and she'll take care of him because she assumes he needs taken care of and stuff like that. And her husband kind of stinks. Her husband Adam kind of stinks, and man, <laughs> because the whole story he
1: is. Nobody absent. who manages hedge funds could be a bad guy. What <laughs> are you talking about? Well,
0: especially in the run up to 2008. Nobody um, in
1: the financial industry could be bad.
0: <laughs> he. He pops up in this. Man, story. it's
1: essentially good, right? So oh, that no. people in the financial industry are basically good. It's oh no, a transitive property.
0: He pops up in this story about two or three times, only to be on the other end of a phone call, and all of them are about like him being like, "Hey, Ruma, like he's your dad. It's your call whether or not he lives. He lives with us," and it's really. Lahiri does a really good job in letting you know how unhelpful that is to Ruma, <laughs> could really <laughs> use a partner in this experience and maybe some guidance on, like, if she doesn't actually want it to happen or not. Um, there's some little moments where she says that, like, their marriage got worse after her mother passed because – and she doesn't rec- – she, she recognizes it's maybe not a fair thing, but, like, both of his parents are still alive and – And she feels distant from him because he doesn't know the type of grief she's experienced. Sure. Um, there's lots of little moments like that throughout the whole book where like, it's just one or two lines of very insightful, you know, economic language about like, yep, well I'm very different from that person in a way that kind of sucks. And it's very human. Um, and now I'm going to move on with the rest of this story. Uh, So and then the little guy, Akash, the little boy, he is very fun, but he is a handful and he does not really have any connection to his Bengali heritage. So when his grandpa does arrive, he like doesn't really take to him right away because now his mom is making all this food that he doesn't know and doesn't like. And he has an older guy trying to speak a different language to him sometimes. And it's just very strange. Um, Mm -hmm. And we get a little bit of like... She's starting to experience her son as a little person that she doesn't understand, uh, who has thoughts and feelings and can throw tantrums and both understand logic when it is useful and disregard it when it is not. Which can't wait, can't for, wait that. for that for you, huh? But Yeah, no, that's gonna be great. <laughs> um and so it the the central image of this story and most of the, the stories do have some sort of like central hook is uh, that her dad when he does arrive and talks about you know how he map quested how to get to her house and stuff um, (laughs) he looks out her window and like realizes that her garden her backyard there's all these like plants that are just really having a hard time and that was one of the things that he used to do when they all lived together so in his time there he starts like planting flowers and tending this garden um, and trying to kind of boy scout like like leave the place better than he found it sure yeah um and I it feel be- that way when i go visit my parents <laughs> you feel that way when you visit friends of ours and their apartments are dirty
1: sometimes people listen i haven't done that in a long time <laughs> but sometimes people's floors just need vacuums
0: <laughs> or they need a new shower curtain like they just need it sometimes
1: yeah sometimes they do that's true i i i did the right thing His computer table was a cardboard box that his computer had come in.
0: You are essentially good. I know. I understand. I'm
1: essentially good.
0: (laughs) Uh, One of the most charming things in this story is the bit where the garden becomes a, a point of connection between the grandfather and Akash. And... He lets Akash come out and gives him, like, a little plot in the garden. And Akash just buries all of his toys and, he, like, just starts jamming toys in the ground like they're going to grow. And they, like, water them. He's, like, just shoving Legos in the dirt, um, which is really adorable and comes back later in the story. Um, but the the central question is, like, she feels, Ruma does, like, her, her connection to her Bengali roots is, are slipping away um she doesn't know if she should honor them by force you know kind of pushing her dad to live with her her dad is like i actually kind of love my newfound life that is like away from these customs and yes i loved your mother i guess but it was an arranged marriage and i'm doing kind of great now and i'm not burdened by customs so how do you tell your kid that Mm -hmm. um and there's a where they're watching footage from his trip to Italy and this Mrs. Bogchi appears and he, he had hoped that actually she wouldn't and he had forgotten that this clip was in the film and he said you know he's thinking in his brain it was an opportunity to tell Ruma it was more difficult than he'd thought being in his daughter's home being around her all day he felt pathetic deceiving her but what would he say that he had made a new friend a girlfriend the word was unknown to him impossible to express he had never had a girlfriend in his life It would be easier telling her brother. He would have absorbed the information casually, might have even found it a relief. Ruma was different. All his life he'd felt condemned by her on his wife's behalf. She and Ruma were allies, and he had endured his daughter's resentment, never telling Ruma his side of things, never saying that his wife had been overly demanding, unwilling to appreciate the life he'd worked hard to provide. That also gives you a sense of the style of language in this book. It's very direct. There's not a lot of flowery description. There's not a lot of... um, I was trying to express it to you before we recorded today. Like, it's not uh, aware that it's a book. It's not playing tricks with perspective. It's not trying to reinvent the form you know what I mean? It's like not it's not overly modernist or postmodernist. It's just a story in a character's head. Yeah, or yeah, two. yeah. Um which it's was not flashy. It's not flashy. Um the the flashiest things and they're not even flashy is just that the collection wisely mixes up when it's like a first person narrative or when it's close third for a couple of them and then two of them in the back half of the book are like, a character direct addressing another character. Like, oh, your parents were doing this, and I thought this was going on. And that's a refreshing change of pace for the back half of the book. But, um, So this, like, story winds down with the father being like, nah, I can't stay. And in his brain, he, like, thinks about how he doesn't want to get pulled into another family, which is a really, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> experience it's really like i i think my note after i read this passage was like woof where he's just like i don't know i don't want to get drawn into like the mess and the feuds and the demands and the energy of another marriage
1: i'm up to my i would say as as a married man i'm up to my my capacity on families yeah and
0: it's it was interesting between
1: between my found families and my my uh legal ones <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, it was interesting reading this character. Uh, My in laws right now are going through their retirement process and they're going to move to a new state and are going to move into a different community. And like watching them kind of have to go through the process of like, which connections are we going to work hard to maintain? Which ones are we going to. Because they're also like part of they, you know, they pastor a church. So they they are tied to their community in ways that are not just like friendship based. Right. So they are making decisions about like, who do we need to stay in touch with? Who would it be appropriate to stay in touch with? How do we integrate ourselves into a new place and in, in this new part of our life where we're not necessarily like, we're trying to have new experiences, but we're not trying to have like kids again. We're not trying to do, you know, like it's a different, I don't know. It was, it was really interesting reading this father character and what he did and did not want to do. And it was really Lahiri does a great job of being like, Wow, that's a weird, tough sentiment to get across, but I totally understand why you would feel that way. Um and it ends with him almost mailing a postcard to Mrs. Uh Krabji, but he loses it and then uh Ruma finds it buried in Akasha's part of the garden. He had found it and like put it there and she realizes that her dad like has a girlfriend and it complicates how she thinks about how he loved her mom and then she decides to mail it anyway and that's the end of that story and so like to my original thesis on this whole collection like these are fundamentally good people who do not come to any sort of like neat resolution about how they feel about each other and in some ways leave worse off because they didn't necessarily get what they wanted from the other person, um, I don't know. It's just it's it endears you to the characters, but there is ne- not a single one of these eight stories ends with you going like, and they're all gonna be okay.
1: <laughs> I don't like if you. I mean, okay, uh, say any day of your life is a, is a short story in a book. I say that every in, day, <laughs> and you go to bed what is 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 the reader of your life book every night or even any given night gonna be like that guy's gonna be fine (laughs) because for me the answer is no
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's what makes us very compelling i guess yeah it's not it it doesn't pretend at a happy ending it doesn't pretend or it doesn't there are very few contrivances in these books, in these stories. I'll give it that. Like, it doesn't have a, it doesn't have like a O. Oh, Henry. Like, everything has a payoff. Even the payoff of the postcard in the garden feels very like gentle and slight. It's mm-hmm. not like a, it's not a story about a postcard. We need to know what's going to happen to it.
1: <laughs> um, it
0: doesn't feel overly clever. Um, so yeah, because, it does,
1: so so if you're if you're talking about like. So it's a slice of life kind of Yes, of very thing. much so. But each story is still telling a, a story with a point. Yes.
0: yes, 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 yes. So this one is a is really about that kind so how of how how
1: is it how does it balance like putting too fine a point on things versus giving you the impression that you're just seeing a moment in the life of these people.
0: Great. So you're seeing many moments. Most of them do it's not like just one scene. Um not all of them center around like a week together or so. Um, So the second story is, I think, okay, overall they come at these different lives. Um, Like the relationships are different. The types of relationships that she explores in each story um, are markedly different from each other so that you can get resonant themes And you can get a shared kind of cultural background and cultural experience, but she's not trying to cram every type of experience into one or two characters as you Mm -hmm. might in a novel where you're like, okay, well, I want to write a novel about people in this era experiencing this. I'm going to make like three characters and their whole arcs are going to cover all of these issues. Like this is like, oh no, this is the woman who moved to Seattle. Uh, Her mom died and she has a weird relationship with her dad. This next one is uh the woman whose parents took in an MIT student um who was also from Bengali uh or from West Bengal and um he was closer in age to her mom than uh to her and so her mom kind of fell in love with him and then he like had a relationship and a failed marriage with this white woman from school that he met um and it's about like how the the taking in and caring for other people in this shared culture could still lead you to an intense dissatisfaction with your actual family, like the way that it could backfire on you. Mm-hmm. Um, that one boils down to like a really rough scene where the mother almost like commits suicide by lighting herself on fire, and it's like really intense, which.
1: But it doesn't happen. That, wait, 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 wait. Which <laughs> part of that sentence does the almost refer to?
0: Uh, she does not take
1: almost her- like almost lights herself on fire. She- does successfully light herself on fire, no. or om- but almost kills herself? Um,
0: she she is so distraught by um, her like missed life with this man who would have made her this younger man who would have made her happy, um, and the and the life that he ruined in this marriage that fell apart. That she like walks out into her yard and uh, like pours lighter fluid on her like on her sari and then just stands there for an hour like thinking about it until a neighbor just like talks to her about beautiful how beautiful the sunset is and then she just walks back inside um, <sighs> and it ends I think it ends with her confessing that she did that to her daughter who's been telling the story the whole time. Okay, um, there's one that is about. Uh, a guy who goes to a boarding school um, that's like predominantly privileged white kids. He thought he was a privileged Bengali kid and turns out that he is nowhere near as privileged as these kids at this school. Um, And he ends up going back there as an adult for like a wedding of an old friend who's also sort of an old flame and he's there with his wife and their marriage is sort of rocky. Uh, And it ends with them having sex in a dorm room but it's like not like it's really like we hope this is going to fix this weekend sex like it's a been a bad (laughs) weekend (laughs) and you can tell even as they're doing it that they're like it's because they're out of options and can't talk to each other and they're just going to hope that it fixes it and then the story ends before you can find out if it does hmm uh that one has a lot of really good like going back to your alma mater and having weird interactions with people that you've stopped talking to. Agita some of which is is rooted in his in his immigrant experience or his parents' immigrant experience and some of which is just like him not knowing how to relate to people from that part of his life he put behind, which is very universal. <laughs> in
1: my I've life. made I, I don't know how your college reunion experience has been. I I have made earnest attempts to Oh yeah start talking to people who i stopped talking to yes like even even to the point of like exchanging phone numbers and being like you're you have concrete plans to be in the city where i live let's go get a drink yes yes <laughs> and it just and it just doesn't work out because you don't you don't fit in each other's lives outside of school and that's why you don't talk anymore
0: yes this is this are these are people he more explicitly left behind cuz he did not want to have anything to do with them,
1: that's fine. That's fair. Yeah.
0: Um. But I know yeah, I'm, exactly I'm, I'm, what I'm... you're saying too. <laughs> yeah. Is...
1: No, the the. I guess the best case scenario for the sex thing is just like hoping that that moment of physical connection opens an emotional gate or like a like a yes. vulnerability gate that hadn't been open, and you can just like seize that moment for one or the other person to get the conversation going again i'm just kind of writing fanfic i guess about how the story continues
0: (laughs) well but you've actually picked up on something that like that story their marriage is one in which um what does he say uh they've like they've worked really hard at this point in their in their marriage where they are like no i'll take care of the kids so that you can go do your thing or no i'll take care of this so that you can get the time that you need um, and the passage I highlighted was wasn't it terrible that, after all the work one put into finding a person to spend one's life with, after making a family with that person, even in spite of missing that person as a meet missed Megan night after night, that solitude was what one relished most, the only thing even in fleeting diminished doses kept one sane um and that's him at like the darkest part of the story for him, but like the probably like two thirds of the way through that story is really ruminating on ways in which you can feel alone while still in a relationship. Um, even as you're maybe trying to make that relationship work, but like the side effects of how you've chosen to do it are actually causing you to drift apart um, mm-hmm. or not, or like just kind of shove under the rug, the fact that you've already drift apart. Um, so that, that one's really interesting, but yeah, it, it's one of the few that ends with characters coming together at the end. Um the other one I wanted to shout out, and this will probably take us home, um, and I can do a bigger, you know, just really macro level overview of the of the final stories. Is like, there's one about a brother and a sister relationship, which is unique to the book. Um, Suda and Rahul. Suda uh, introduces Rahul to alcohol when he's in high school, and he came to visit her at Penn here in Philadelphia. Uh, and he, Woo. the story then becomes Philadelphia. I know, oh my god. Um, the story then becomes about him developing a drinking problem, being the younger brother who is uh, ostensibly the smarter, brighter one, but who f- like flames out in college and squanders all of that potential and ends up like disappearing off the grid for a few years while she moves to London and starts up a relationship with a guy who like kind of doesn't want, to be part of her family and the drama of her family, and has really explicitly put up barriers there. That seems to be a recurring theme in her stories: are the ways in which the American characters, or in that in this story's case, British characters, who marry into these Bengali families, like do not make an effort to join them or sure. or like overcome some of the the emotional walls that have been built. Yeah, um, and that story ends with that was the one I thought was going to be okay because her brother like despite messing up a bunch he does find a job that gives him some fulfillment and he does get back together with a girl that they all thought was bad for him but she gets him going into rehab and so he visits her in London and he's helping to raise his girlfriend's kid so he has a connection with his sister now who has a one-year-old and you're like man is this story gonna end good <laughs> and no not. it doesn't because they leave the kid with him and he does like fall off the wagon and passes out and he's he's just left the kid like alone in the bathtub the kid is safe like the kid is healthy and not harmed but like they come home to try and find out what's going on and this baby is just alone in a bathtub with no mm-hmm. protection by itself and he is literally passed out in their bedroom Um and it completely shatters their relationship, makes it worse than it was before. It hurts her marriage because she had never really divulged what her brother was struggling with and how it affected her. And then the the story ends on the image of a deflated balloon, like on the floor, representing her life. And you're like, crap.
1: Symbolism. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's like, oh, God. Um, and again, I, I don't want to make that symbolism feel like it is actually overwrought because in context it's not. It's like the closing image and then you're out sure, before yeah. you can think about it being overwrought. Um, and then there's another story that is like, they're not, it's one of the few stories that has, it's the only story that has like no family in it. And none of the characters are related. It's like housemates and it's about people kind of getting into each other's relationship business. It's the only story told primarily from an American character's perspective, like a white male, um, which is interesting, uh, mostly about this woman who moves into his house, uh, and gets in a bad relationship. Um, and then the last three stories, as I said, are about two characters who kind of weave in and out of each other's lives as their parents, mm-hmm. uh, kind of create a blended family. Then they move apart. And then in the third story, they have, this is the most contrived thing is that they have kind of a, uh, oh, wow, you're in Italy, too, moment. Um, And then their lives do not end up together. So, yeah, like, the stories are good and they're charming and they're sad and they hit me in the gut, I think primarily because I'm closer to where these characters are in their lives age-wise and, like, thinking about the way that they think about their education experience and how it has or has not impacted their where they are in their career and -hmm. their marriages um i can't speak you know to a lot of the intergenerational stuff because i don't even have some of the same like i don't have existing relationships with grandparents and things like that all my grandparents have passed away um but the pressures between parents and children within this within this collection of stories are very powerful. And yeah, the the experience of Bengali Americans being torn between are they American? Are they from India? One set of characters actually goes moves back to India and when they come back, the the people they're hanging out with are like, "How did you go back to Bombay and come back more American than when you left? Like what happened?" <laughs> and they're very like they're not wearing traditional clothing they are drinking whiskey at the dinner table like, I
1: I got imagine it crystallizes something like you you've been living your life a certain way for a while and then yes. you go somewhere where those things aren't there and you're like oh i want and, those yes yeah right yeah.
0: um and so th- it's just a it is a series of slices slices of life book you might call it mm-hmm. um I might. You might call I won't, it that. But I might. <laughs> um, and one thing that does inform a lot of the relationships are like most of the marriages for the characters' parents were, if not explicitly arranged, but if they were not explicitly arranged, they were like strongly encouraged as matches. Um, and so the the characters closer to your and my age who are like meeting people and trying to fall in love with them and enter a marriage that way is like a novel experience in these families and it causes conflict and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's all I got. I don't know. Any questions you have about the short story thing as we wrap up? I know that that was kind of like your frame of reference for how to talk about it coming in, but...
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I guess I just wonder, and, and this is the challenge with all with all short story collections i suppose is just if if you have if you have to talk about it to somebody else who has not read the book and you don't have the benefit of an hour to do it in, <laughs> what's your what is your pitch for this other person's book like what what how do you how would you briefly describe what ties all eight of these it's oh, eight right it is eight yes. yeah how eight all eight of these together
0: <laughs> uh yeah, I would say it is about um people transitioning from young adulthood to adulthood and wondering to which culture they belong as they do so. Mm-hmm. Um wh- and who's going to be there in that culture w- when and if they find a home. Um a lot of it is about who am I? Who do I take with me into the next stage of my life? Um, Going back to just this metaphor of being planted in different gardens, um, when you move on somewhere else or if you are planted somewhere, do you actually get to be there with the person who put you there or not? Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of these stories start with a a, a fraught or it could only get better relationship that somehow finds a way to get a
1: little worse. um and and in a way that you're i try not to say that things can only go up from here very often because i they have a way of figuring out a way to not get better no that's a good point that's a good point
0: but there there are lots of relationships where people hope for them to get better because they do believe that people are are fundamentally good um and through people's inherent faults they kind of just fall apart um as as people strive to like have a a better individual life for themselves, so that's unaccustomed earth. You should check it out it's a, it's a really compelling read. I think the you the, should get accustomed to it. You should I, get accustomed to it. Her language is very direct and actually like it it I don't know I haven't read a collection that wasn't trying to be cute or be clever or be uh like push the envelope in terms of style or genre in a long time. Um
1: Sure, yeah, I think the last one I read was was Friday Black and I I think it was it, it was pushing the envelope in terms of just like making like like making things that we'd struggle with or things that we acknowledge like more uh, like more jarring or more extreme than they yeah, are in yeah yeah, the, yeah, yeah. And, and that's a common narrative trope I think is like taking things a couple uh, notches past what what people would consider realistic in a way to get people to pay attention to them yes um, so it sounds like you're saying that this book isn't trying necessarily to no
0: do that. it's it's actually trying to really honestly say like no this is how things can go yeah. Uh, which is its own type of of boldness.
1: They really do be like that sometimes. Hey,
0: that's what I would say. If someone (laughs) was like, hey, what's up with Unaccustomed (laughs) Earth by Jhumpa Lahiri, I'd say, it really do be like that sometimes. (laughs) Is it what I came away with thinking? (laughs) Sure. Uh, I'm I'm glad we got there. I'm I'm glad glad we we got there. It took us an hour. If you want to email us... It
1: always does. <laughs> about what
0: it do be like. Mm-hmm. You can send us an email at overduepod@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at overdue pod. Thanks to Livy, Neil, Amy, Megan, Nora, Arlene, Liz, Elisa, Melissa, and many more for shouting us out during the week. Again, our new theme song is by Nick Laranza Nick Laranges, excuse me, friend of the show. Um if you want to see more of his stuff, you can check out at Nick Laranges on Instagram. Um, We'll put a link in the episode description for you. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go?
1: They should go to OverduePodcast.com. That's our internet website. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, our RSS feed, and you can also find us on Stitcher and Spotify, among other places. Uh, Up there on the website we have links to Bookshop.org, where you can uh, buy the books that we are reading and that we are going to read and support local bookstores at the same time. Um, in this, in, in these trying times oh my God. where we've been simultaneously asked to stay at our homes and support local businesses at every turn, <laughs> this is a way to do both. That's true. We also have a new listener page, which you can, uh, go to, to find episodes that we think represent what we are getting up to. That's due for an update. And I feel like, so this is like the second or third time I've said that on air. And so by the time we get to the sixth or seventh time is when we'll update it with a batch of new episodes. That's
0: usually how that works.
1: Yeah, new, old episodes.
0: <laughs> our June schedule should be out later this week. Keep an eye on our social feeds for that. I can tell you that our uh, final episode of Paradiso from Dante's Divine Comedy will be hitting the main feed at the end of this week, uh, before the end of the month in May. Um, we'll be putting out our like little bonus episode of Hellboys for Patreon, those Patreon supporters within the coming week or so as well. And then that'll pop up on the main feed sometime after that. And then we'll get into Genie Babies. Man, we got a lot of stuff to do. We better go, huh?
1: We sure do. I sure got a lot of stuff to read. All right. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us for another week. And until we see you next time, try to be happy.
0: The Hate Podcast.